2: Hi, I'm Alex Merrill. Welcome to the Inspirati. I've enlisted a roster of ultra talented international creators and curators to join me on this podcast to talk about how they've charted their individual paths, overcome challenges and found their true artistic selves. From candid conversations with eminent makers to showcasing exciting up-and-comers across the industries of art, music, fashion, entertainment, literature, and design, we get to illuminate our perspectives, learning from these unique stars within the constellation of global creativity. The Inspirati was created for those seeking inspiration and those seeking to inspire. Thanks for listening. Within the mythology of America from classic films to folklore, arguably the most intriguing archetype is the cowboy. This misunderstood character charts his own course, breaking as many rules as necessary. He is a radical who lives for revolution, determined to change the world for the better, sometimes being relegated to wander the plains as an outlaw in pursuit of justice. The allure of the cowboy, which has captured many an imagination, young and old, is explored frequently in the work of L.A.-based painter Matt McCormick, but renegade-free thinking isn't confined to his subjects. Before Matt transitioned into fine art, he came up as a tattoo artist, and even in a field as seemingly rebellious as tattooing, there is a code, expectations around mentorship, a certain amount of frowning upon the self-taught artist, much like there is in the fine art world. And yet, without playing by those rules in either circle, Matt has gone on to garner respect from both. After years inking rappers like Mac Miller and Tyler, the creator, who he toured with, he has now built a career as a fine artist, exploring themes tied to the American world. West, Hollywood glamour, and other moments of nostalgia, depicting a desire for less cluttered horizons and more risk-takers to look up to. This prolific painter makes the work he wants to see, exploring memories, expressing reality through metaphors, fantasies about what a man was or is or could be, fantasies about what America was or is or could be. This conversation felt particularly poignant as we spoke on January 7th, the day after the siege of the United States Capitol, when those of us who love America were grappling with the emotional wreckage of witnessing such divisive hate— After our conversation, I thought a lot about the classifications we attribute to file things in our heads, the self-taught artist versus the Yale graduate, the Republican versus the Democrat, the tough guy versus the vulnerable one. How do we value art? How do we value people? And how can we strip those classifications down, embrace the nuances, and change the world for the better? It was a pleasure to spend an hour in the perspective of such an insightful artist, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. We're actually both 1987 kids and both raised by artists and my parents actually met at the San Francisco Art Institute. And the reason I call this out is that I feel like now as an adult, I realize how rare it is to grow up in those kinds of environments and how special it is. And whenever I find another alien who's the same kind of alien, I'm like, this is so cool. So what was that experience for you like?
1: It was great. I mean, it's one of those things I'm sure you recognized as, you know, you didn't really notice the difference when you were a kid. You're just like your parents had a job and all parents had a job, I guess, you know, and a, a big thing for me, you know, as I got older was kind of coming to terms with that. My parents were just people just the same way that me and my friends, you know what I mean? And so not that necessarily has to do with the, you know, the fact that they're artists and that was kind of. Surreal, but it's just different and something I had to come to terms with. It just seemed normal, and then as I got older and moved into what has become my career, I obviously recognize the differences to you know other kids growing up their parents, and also like how I benefited from that, you know, in terms of what I do. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was yeah, like it was one of those things that you know felt very normal to me as I was younger. And it wasn't until probably three-quarters of the way through high school that I started kind of like recognizing the difference. And actually, at the beginning of high school, my dad remodeled our house and brought his studio to the home. And so it went from him having a, a similar kind of setup to what I have now uh, in San Francisco, he then moved it over to where we lived in Marin, and he essentially added like a whole wing to the house that was his studio and You had to go outside to get to it, so that was his commute. but it's
2: kind of good to have that separation sometimes,
1: yeah, well, up until my last studio, I had lived workspaces for about five years, but when I was still tattooing, my commute was like through one door in in the door was like. <laughs> you know, literally my bed was on this side of the wall. And then you go through a a little small, almost like closet door into the tattoo studio. And then you went through another door on the other side of my bedroom that was into like the painting studio. So that was like something I was very familiar with for quite a while. And I definitely don't want that. Again, definitely not in that style. I do want to have like a, a studio on a property that I live and work at, but separate there definitely needs to be like
2: division of church and state yeah yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> i just i i my living room was in in the same room it was like a big loft so like the area that like was the living room was in the same room as the painting studio and so i'd be you know sitting on the couch trying to like decompress and i like would just be looking over my shoulder at a painting all night and i just like couldn't be present you know, so I, I got a little off track from the, the parental situation, but yeah, I mean, you know,
2: the, well, it's all, it's all linked, right? Yeah. It just, was very, it was very
1: much, you know, a great kind of example to what I now do and, and wanted to do. And, and, you know, the one thing I will say about that is even though I had a great example that showed me the way that it could be done, I still like had to figure that out. Sure. I, felt somewhat confident in my like artistic ability but like translating that into a business or like dollars or whatever was uh yeah that was kind of challenging originally it was like oh i'll be a graphic designer whatever that means and you know and i don't know school traditional schooling was just not really for me so i had to kind of figure it out in another kind of weird way but.
2: Were they both painters? Are they both painters? No, my
1: dad's a painter. My mom was a photographer, is a photographer. She does a little less now, but they they both worked commercially for a long time and simultaneously did their fine art practice. And then, yeah, around when I was in middle school somewhere, they, they sold their business that they had created that was like the commercial side of things, which was a backdrop business. And they both just focus on their kind of fine art practice. That was kind of a similar thing that I did with tattooing. For me, it was like tattooing was my commercial business that allowed me to still be creative while, you know, being able to fund the time to work on paintings. And that.
2: It's nice as a kid, too, I feel like to see parents who are not only exploring their creativity but finding financial stability through that because that's something that I think people don't even realize is fully possible. So to grow up with that in your home, I think that's probably pretty formative
1: hundred uh, percent i mean it's funny I, I, I have clear memories of my dad always being bitter towards family members that would just wouldn't take what he did seriously because it wasn't a, a, a traditional nine to five and the reality is he was able to provide kind of like a much nicer life than any of those people that were saying that to him you know what I mean? but to them it was like oh you're an artist you know ooh, you know that's not a job.
2: Yeah. And the thing
1: is, I don't really look at it. I mean, yes, it is. It's a career and it is work. You know what I mean? But he really stressed that finding something that didn't feel like work so that you didn't, you didn't feel like you're working, you know, and, uh, yeah. and you actually enjoy it. You figure
2: that piece out first and then figure out how to make money doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: Did you have siblings?
1: Uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a younger brother.
2: Is he, is he creative too?
1: In his own ways. He's, uh, he's a teacher. So, you know, it's a much more noble profession than what I <laughs> did. But yeah, he has, his own, he has his own ways.
2: So what were you making when you were a kid? Like, what are your earliest memories of wanting to make your own thing?
1: Well, I have, I have a lot of it. I think due to the nature of the household, I mean, I think it's pretty normal for all parents to save everything, but my parents definitely, especially my mom, very much saved everything. And actually she recently brought most of it to my house. So I have like everything I made in high school and a lot of drawings from childhood. I think, you know, the the point in which I stopped listening to my dad and doing like art lessons with him was where i had like learned how to like draw faces decently well he taught you that i mean we would just do like lessons all the time you know what i mean so and that was kind of where i stopped taking the lessons and it was honestly the thing i really enjoy about he doesn't like there's no sugar coating when he kind of talks to me about my art like honestly up until like a year and a half two years ago he would consistently tell me that i needed to take Classes and you know work <laughs> on things still you know which is good because it's better than him just being like, everything is great you know.
2: Well, you know the praise is real when it shows up. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and a couple of the people in my life that I really respect their opinions when I present stuff to them and want to hear their feedback, they do that, which is is really great. You know what I mean? And not that like I don't enjoy the rest of the praise and whatnot, but I I do need someone to check me you know here and there. It's funny. I got like a I got like a drawing that had won like some I don't know local kind of like award of some sort, and it was like a landscape that was very similar to my dad's stuff. I was just kind of copying what he was doing, but you know, the, the earliest stuff was very similar to like what you see for most of the kids. I mean, I I have a few that I framed in an office at my house, and they're just like children's versions of like mango paintings, like stuff like that. A lot of like as I got into like elementary school it was very like informed by like graffiti and kind of early 90s hip-hop very early beginnings of like streetwear kind of like graphics and skateboard graphics and that kind of stuff that you know was like that was the era yeah very prevalent at that time
2: I mean, I was doing graffiti at that time in school.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure if you grew up in the '90s and you didn't draw a Stussy symbol at some point, you weren't exactly. in a kid of the '90s. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of I would I would trace a lot of like cartoons and superheroes, like and stuff like that, and you know, and then like redo my own versions of it. I don't know, standard kid stuff.
2: And was that kind of what got you into tattooing?
1: Yeah, in in a way, like. The tattooing, well, one, due to subcultures that I was like involved with, hardcore and punk music and uh, skateboarding and all that kind of stuff, tattoos were like very much a thing that, you know, were, I wouldn't say commonplace, but like more commonplace than the rest of society in those kind of scenes. And then on top of that, like I always had this, like growing up in California, I always had this. Kind of attraction to like Chicano, like lowrider community and whatnot. So I was, I have like very early memories of like kind of being obsessed with that look. And so I, by the time I was in high school, I was like drawing a lot of that stuff, and I started getting tattooed in high school. And a lot of the stuff I was drawing and making just looked like that already looked like tattoos, or like we're in the same realm. And so at some point in my very early twenties. My best friend was like, You should just tattoo, like, you know, why don't you do this? So I went through the whole process of like trying to figure out how to do that and then like teaching myself how to do that. And then it wasn't until a couple years later that I like turned it into like an actual business, career, or whatever. But yeah, it was just kind of one of those things that like fell into naturally by just like pure interests, you know, and just like things just kept kind of like falling into place. I'm happy
2: I did it. Did it feel not necessarily like rebelling, but finding a creative path that was also different from what your parents were doing and was your thing? And like, I feel like it's such a common thread in creative stories where even if you grow up with something that's so special in your home, you kind of have to go out, try different things, even if you end up kind of coming back to similar ways of working or or mediums as your parents, like you kind of have that moment of like striking out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I don't want to say I was like, super rebellious but I you know in my own way like I just like I had to figure out everything myself so it was like I was going I was gonna pick my own interests and whatnot and those interests just kind of led me there a lot of the artists yeah I liked at that age were at least tattoo adjacent you know it was it just was it was much more fitting it also was a, a tangible career Seeing someone sell paintings for lots of money, I wasn't surrounded by anyone doing that. It wasn't until I moved to New York, which is when the tattooing started. But you know, like even the people I knew that were selling paintings for lots of money and like making a good living off of it, I was like, I still don't understand how you do that. I don't understand how anyone does this. Even watching my parents do it, like just like it didn't really translate to me. It took a long time. And to be honest, I'm still doing it in a different way. Like, you know, I got into tattooing in a not normal fashion. I taught myself. You know, I didn't have someone willing... I didn't know someone well enough that was willing to give me a a tattoo apprenticeship. You know, that's pretty frowned upon in the tattoo world. I had to just like pay my dues and do things in a way that eventually like garnered respect from people that stick to the rules, whatnot. And the same thing has happened in art. You know, I don't, I don't have a, I still to this day don't have a gallery. Am I concerned? No. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect me and I'm, I'm figuring it out. You know, will I have one one day or will I, you know, at this point it's, there's people I could work with, I, you know, but it's like I, the same way, I mean, I, the way that relates to, I guess the parental thing is like, I had to figure it out myself. It doesn't mean one way is right or wrong. I could have done things maybe a little bit differently. For example, my brother, definitely went the like more traditional route of schooling and all that. And, you know, and, and he's got his own thing going on and that's great. You know, one is not better than the other. And, and, and I think my parents now are very happy, you know, with it, the way things have turned out, but you know, there were definitely some years that they were a little concerned. I just kind of, yeah, I think that the simplest way to put it is I just like, I felt an inherent need to figure things out my own way and not be told how i had to do things and to me it was more important to kind of like go through that and i'm happy that i did because i learned a lot about what not to do the way
2: what was your style like as as a tattoo artist i didn't i was looking through some stuff and i didn't see a lot of color
1: no not a lot of color I mean, I've done a couple. I've done some color tattoos, but because of that influence from Chicano kind of lowrider culture, you know, a lot of that stems from prison tattoos where you don't have access to color. To me, I just always really liked the fine line, black and gray style, which has like really become kind of commonplace now within tattooing. And But when I was figuring out like what I wanted to do with it they're the only people doing that style were people that were tattooing within kind of the chicano kind of style of tattooing and i think one of the things that i kind of brought to that and there were other other people uh, i'm not trying to say that i'm like singular trailblazer but you know I, i i was i was kind of like okay well these are the kind of images i mean you know i really just wanted to do that kind of tattoo but I was also making art about other things. And so it's somewhere along the way, like the art I was making intersected with the tattooing I was doing. And then I started taking that style and applying it to imagery that had nothing to do with, you know, the traditional, you know, like Chola girls and everything else that fits in that style. And so it kind of created this like newer kind of genre, which was just like fine line black and gray that, expanded beyond like the the normal kind of prison aesthetics that had been attributed to that style for so long and and so that was that was really my thing and then as like the western art that i was making started like taking off people would come and and get you know that stuff tattooed and that is the one thing i can definitely say was like strictly mine that i i could lay claim to 100 and then around you know shortly after i i decided to Leave the, the tattooing peace out, yeah. And it, it was just kind of, I was starting to resent it in a way, or it's not even that I was, I, I really had like for a long time, I had this idea that I could do both, but I hit a, a point where I realized that the only way that I could take what I really wanted to do, which was you know, my paintings and the rest of that, you know, kind of uh, studio practice work, the only way that I could truly. it to where I wanted to get it was to focus 100% on that and not try to split it between the two right so I had to I took a trip to Japan and when I came back I just didn't schedule any more appointments
2: I feel like Japan really changes people creatively (laughs) I know so many friends who like have experiences in Japan weirdly I, I still haven't been but it's such a different mentality around a lot of that kind of stuff that there's a lot of clarity that comes out of that place specifically.
1: Very efficient place. My first trip to Japan was pretty stressful because I I kept having panic attacks. It was super hot. There was like this weird combination of, I don't know, like some jet lag or something, but I just kept having these like intense panic attacks. And so it made it a little weird. I mean, I definitely had fun, but my next trip to Japan was like life-changing for sure. And I don't know, the thing about Japan, it's just like, it's not what you, like, I went there expecting it to be, I expect it to be like a video game. And that's not what it is. It's much different than that. It's, it's subtle, but also like, I don't know, there's nowhere else in the world that I've been that feels so different than here. Like the last time I went, I had been in Hong Kong for about a month prior. In Hong Kong, you'll be on the streets and it could be a block in New York. You know, it's not that different. Totally, uh, and yeah, you go, I love
2: Hong Kong for that. You know,
1: not that far away to Japan, and it's so different. You know what I mean? And yeah, in in, in so many good ways too. You know, the efficiency there is mind-boggling. They've got it figured out doing things to to a tee. So, the train
2: runs on time,
1: like within thirty seconds. Like they're they're not late. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't know. I went. I, I'd already been kind of like leaning toward this. I think, or you know, stopping tattooing. Before I was there, it's just I think I didn't have any appointments scheduled after, and I was just like, okay, let's do this.
2: Were you touring with with Tyler and Trash Talk then, or was that the beginning part of your tattooing career?
1: Yeah, that was before tattooing took off. I was at the beginning stages of tattooing when I started hanging with them, and so I would tattoo them. One of my like close friends that I grew up with that was actually on that first trip to Japan. He was managing Tyler and our future from the beginning. Like he went okay. to their first show, met them in like day one with them. And he had come to New York and I met all of them. And I went with them on like a couple of dates and tattooed a couple of guys and just like hanging out. When I would go to L.A., I would hang with them when they were still just like kids on Fairfax. And then he essentially convinced me to move to L.A. to like join a traveling circus that was the future kind of thing for a couple of years. And so I did that.
2: Damn, were you on the road for a couple of years? Yeah. Oh, I've done that before. That's like a whole other slice of life.
1: Yeah. I won't do it again, but it wasn't bad. I just, you know, it's it's a lot different than I think people think it is. You know, if you I, I don't know, I've never been on the artist side of that. So I don't really know what it would be like to be the talent. But as someone who worked for it and also like I was not in a very uh controlled place in my life, it was just very chaotic. You know, it's it's a twenty four hour thing. You don't ever you're you're always yeah. working. You know what I mean? And so it was very fun. I mean... And
2: it's just like hotel to hotel. That's your whole yeah, world. you see
1: hotels and you see... You don't... Yeah. You're traveling the world, but you're not... You're not seeing, seeing the, the world. world. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, before that, I had this dream of finding a job that I could travel and see the world. And I did check off that box. So, you know, yeah. I got to like cover all of Europe which I'd always wanted to do because of that and I'll be eternally grateful for that opportunity. Trash Talk were just like friends of mine. When I went on tour with them a few times, that's when I was starting to take attachment more seriously and like turning into an actual kind of professional, which was post Odd Future. I was on tour with Trash Talk and we were in Vancouver and one of my close friends was in Vancouver filming a TV show
2: that's where I am.
1: You're in Vancouver.
2: I'm in Vancouver.
1: He He's still, he's, he's back in Vancouver because his girlfriend is filming a TV show there. And he, he can't leave. So maybe I'll connect you guys. Perfect. But I was there and he was there filming his own TV show. And he came and met us at, I forget the name of the venue. The one on, uh, is Hastings the big crazy street with the, a lot of junkies on it?
2: Yes, exactly. So whatever venues
1: like down there, like right in the mix of all that. He came to the show and then he has an art studio very close to our house in LA and he essentially was like, hey, if you want, because I kind of, I wasn't, I did, I was kind of homeless at this point. I was just touring so I didn't really have like a for sure place to lay my, rest my hat or lay whatever the <laughs> phrase is. But he was like, you can just take my studio. And so when I finished that tour, I just moved into the studio and I lived there for a while. And that's like where I really got to you know, focus. I was living in this like storefront art studio and I was tattooing and painting and it was just like all day. That's all I did. That's how the the touring transitioned the to full-time tattooing and art. And art was always the end goal. It was just like, well, the art isn't making me enough money yeah. yet to live. And also I wanted, it wasn't like I just was tattooing just for money. I, I enjoyed it. It was something that I wanted to kind of learn and be a part of and have as a practice for a while. So it kind of just all worked out.
2: So when you started painting, I mean, I guess you'd already been painting for a while at that point, but how did you develop that technique? You didn't go to art school, right? I mean, other than growing up in your parents' Yeah, home. And my
1: art my dad was an art professor. You know, I, I'm not against art school. I will say that I'm very glad I don't have student debt. I never had student debt. To me, the things that you get out of art school, the most important well, Really, any college I feel is that like it's the connections you make, you know, with other right. people in your chosen field, and that's going to like propel you along. As far as a studio practice goes, I was born in a studio. I was crawling around the floors of the studio, so like learning how to set up a studio and all that was very natural because I was always in one, you know. And then, as far as like a work ethic, I was raised in that as well, and so I, I had all that. And then as far as like the connections and meeting people, I moved to New York and all my friends were in school. So I just piggybacked off of their experience, you know? And so like my weekends, I would go up to Bard and hang out with my friends up there that were in, you know, school up there. And, and then in the city, I had my friends that were at NYU and Pratt Parsons. And so I was surrounded by, the art school college experience i just wasn't going to those classes i actually was taking classes at the art students league so i had some kind of like classroom experience which you know anyone who's done like the art history research would know that like the art students league is where all the kind of new york school and avex guys and others went you know what i mean so that was my kind of art education it was like pieced together yeah. So you know, it's it just kind of like a more hodgepodge way of schooling. But as far as how I learned, it was kind of just yeah, I was thrust into it from day one. You know what I mean? And and,
2: and self taught a lot too, by the yeah.
1: And then obviously figuring things out, and you know. But it's like at this point when I need to learn, I don't know. It's just like kind of like trial and error, and then also like today in today's day and age, if you want to build a house, you can go to YouTube and figure out how to build a house. If you want to do anything, you know what I mean? And not that I'm like going to YouTube, but you know, like if I trying to figure out how to do something new in my studio, like how do I want to hang paintings on the wall to work on? I'll just like look at pictures of other artists that I respect and kind of like dissect their studios and it's all out there and either you can like try to get it or you can not and you can try to get it through school because to be honest, I don't, like, we open this conversation. Like, not everyone grows up with two artist parents. You know what I mean? So, like, what would be sure. an introduction to that? My dad was one of the people that you would go to school and learn from. So I just had that, you know, kind of yeah. like there. You just
2: didn't go into debt learning from him. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, but obviously, you know, I see a benefit. You know, there's a lot to, you know, having a Yale MFA or UCLA MFA and all these things. But I also think that, you know. The art market and how things are supposed to work and whatever is constantly changing, especially now. It's, you know, and so I have friends who've done it that way, I have friends who have not. And, you know, I think we can all kind of figure it out and whatever works, works. But as far as how I learned, it was just kind of trial and error and being thrust into it. You
2: know. The reason I think it's an important thing to talk about, I didn't go to college either. And there have definitely been moments throughout my life where, like, It'll either flare up as someone like really laying down the law of why you have to go to school for X, Y, Z and me kind of feeling like I don't really agree, obviously, from personal experience, but also just because there are so many different ways to learn. But I feel like especially in the art world, there are so many barriers for entry. And I think when those are consistently solidified through people saying that there is only one way to do things, it's. It scares people off in a way that I don't think is entirely fair. And it's been interesting even just in doing this podcast, like the things that people end up relating to are when it's not about doing the fancy thing. And it's more just like, how do you teach yourself? How do you say yes to the job and figure it out when you get it and take all of those risks that are less about following those kinds of like standardized paths?
1: Yeah. You know, in the art world or whatever you want to call it, you know, that term self-taught artist it's it's a weird one because it's not inherently a negative term but it gets used in a way that almost like is less than like oh well you don't have a Yale MFA or you don't have a and reality is like nothing makes you a better you either are you're either a good artist or you're not a good artist you know and that's really like I don't know there was a, a quote and I've actually heard it echoed in different ways through other people but the first time I really heard it was Gerhard Richter was talking about the evolution of his way of looking at paintings and art with, had, had kind of been simplified down at a certain point What where, where it was like it's good or it's bad and that doesn't mean necessarily that like oh that's a bad painting and you know it's also very subjective you know like what I think is good doesn't mean that that's good to everyone it doesn't mean that it's bad yeah. if someone disagrees you know what I mean there's plenty of art that is considered good art that like at first glance, I don't really enjoy. That doesn't mean it's good or bad. But you know, it's kind of just like, I think as a society, we really need, everyone needs validation. We need kind of markers to prove that you've, you know, you've earned something and and whatnot. And the reality is like, I didn't become an artist because I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, which if you're doing heart surgery, you better have, a nice degree on the wall, you know what I mean? But I'm not doing heart surgery, you know, I'm not doing anything like that. And the reality is like, if someone likes my art because they like it, good, and if they don't like it because they don't see a degree on the wall, well, <laughs> I can't help you with that. And like, you know, that is what it is, you know what I mean? Fine. Like, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, not everything needs to be for everyone. Not everyone needs to like every, you know, artist. And, and, and the reality is like, what, is Picasso's probably the most widely respected, biggest artist of all time. Not everyone loves Picasso. You know what I mean? You're never gonna please everyone. So it's kind of like, you know, take the the wins you can have and and don't fight the rest of it. And like I don't really get that like upset about it, but it is just funny because you hear that term. You'll be reading like a a kind of review or something on an artist and that'll be one of the first things they say if they didn't go. Self taught artists like I think that a lot of times people are just saying it to label them as such, and and maybe they don't mean it in a positive or negative way. But I've just heard it so many times. It's like, oh, a bit uh, derogatory. Yeah, it just it comes off, you know, in a in a slightly derogatory way sometimes. And
2: well, it's just so demonstrative of how people are trying to value art based on some kind of structure that fits into a market, as opposed to. It being about the inherent quality of a particular work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's human nature and with everything. It's like, if you're an athlete, you're judged by your statistics and this and that. You know, I think art is one of these kind of strange things where it's harder to do that. But as a society, we're always trying to do that. So it's going to happen. You know what I mean? And, And then, you know, whatever. It gets into like a much larger more difficult conversation because it's like oh well this artist sells tons of work and makes tons of money but are they good you know what I mean like then it's like what you know where is it because there's plenty of artists that are very successful financially and then you know amongst the critics and whatever they aren't you know respected and, and, it, and it comes down to it's like what's better the money or the respect because there's plenty, of, uh, there's plenty of artists that are highly respected in and, and institutions all around the world, and they saw no financial success. Totally. So, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, what do you want as an artist? And, and also, like, how much choice do you have in that matter, you know?
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact dangled the stable paycheck that was like the smart choice career wise and you could have tucked into that like was there ever anything that was kind of pulling at you otherwise that was like oh I could do this thing that's like a bit seductive because of the stability of it but I'm gonna stick with what feels right
1: very early on like before anything had like truly turned into an actual career after I toured with trash talk a couple, I think after the second tour we did together, I was offered a touring position that would have been a salary position that at the time would have been, you know, like the most stable salary position I ever got, would have ever gotten up until that point. And I remember like reaching out to a couple older artists and, and friends and, uh, you know, get advice on if I should do it. And I did not. I ended up not doing it and I'm glad I didn't, obviously. Well, obviously, but uh, yeah, I mean, financially things have gotten way better than that. And, you know, that would have like taken away from what I was trying to do and I'm still trying to do. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that that would be the closest thing. Everything else since then, I've been able to work into this. There's nothing that is trying to pull me away. Uh, I definitely like have taken on other kind of like projects. I have a clothing company that I do that.
2: Those leather jackets are sick, by the way. Thank
1: you. Yeah. I mean, that stuff is that, that's purely kind of passion. I mean, it's, it, it does well and you know, it checks off a lot of boxes that I would want a clothing brand of mine to check off, but I don't make any money off of it. All the money that, you know, it just goes directly back into making more and continuing. And the thing is we started with like 250 bucks, we just never spent any more money on it and it's just continued to like pay hey, it's for itself i'm a co-founder of a, a hard seltzer company that's been like the last like year and change i'm not making money. i'm not like on salary with that i've put in a lot of time on it but it's you know i don't hopefully i will see some money from it i probably will you know what I mean? but like that's that's all in the future you know like i'm a co-owner of bar i've but seeing any money from that, you know what I mean? They're just all things I'm like, I want to do these things. I want to check these boxes off, but they're not making me start a new career. At the end of the day, the number one focus for me is always the paintings and anything like directly connected to that. So, you know, like I just released a book that I'm very happy with and like that, you know, that's part of that, you know what I mean? And uh, the rest of it's like extracurricular activity that I do because I'm one, trying to set diversify or whatever set things up for the future but also just because i like really want to see how many kind of things i can do and kind of
2: bring value to
1: yeah it's like for like clothing company for example was i would make shirts when i was in high school you know like i would make stencils spray paint shirts or i would you know this and that you know and so that was like my way of doing that and owning an alcohol company i mean that definitely was not in my like thinking as i was younger but it's like kind of just a evolution of that it's like how can i i think as an artist or at least the way i look at being an artist it's you know it's not about one particular medium or anything it's like how can i put my spin on things so that people see them and know they're mine or know that i had something to do with it without having to see like it written out that it was behind me you know what i mean and and i just i find it to be like fun challenge so in that way it's it is an extension of like the the studio practice that I, you know, I do daily, but I also just do it because I need to stay busy, or else I lose my, my fair, I stay focused.
2: I know that feeling. The book must have been cool because that probably took you back through your process up until now. What, how do you see your early work now?
1: You know, I, I kind of do this. I look at it as like a like a sphere of work. There's things that I like set aside and then come back to. You know the series in that book I've been doing consistently for six, seven years, but I always wanted to compile it all into one book. This book is kind of the first of like a what will eventually be like a box set of books that will kind of focus on different series and each one will kind of have a focus, but they will all uh, be designed so eventually they will go into a larger box set because I'm trying to constantly make like the things that I you know, I like to have from artists that I like. So that's something that I've always uh, appreciated. There's a new series that I'm working on that's like very much kind of referencing these paintings I made, I don't know, four years ago or something that I hadn't done anything like that in quite a while. And now I've like spun them in a new way. And it's, you know, I, I'm not really trying to reinvent the wheel with my work necessarily. I, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to make the art that I want to see and the art that speaks to things I know about and I feel like I have something to bring to with that mm-hmm. but yeah I mean I think that like when when looking back at my old art I think this you know there's stuff that I consider wins and there's other stuff that I could have improved upon or whatnot but is cliche sound I don't have any regrets or like I don't look back on anything like that poorly I think the stuff that maybe could have been done better or was maybe rushed but for the most part, I look back at everything I've made and like a positive. Life. And sometimes I look back and stuff and be like, really like, wow, that was I like what you did there or something. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you did something good there. Now let's build upon that, you know, and I, I, I try to have a fun way of looking back at it, I guess.
2: Be kind to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> was classic American icons and environments in the old west something that has kind of been there throughout from the very beginning of of your work with painting?
1: The first work I I was making that I felt I could, like, stand behind or was proud of in some degree was uh, a series that I, like, loosely just always refer to as, like, story paintings where I was kind of taking uh, like, memories and experiences and then kind of telling the tale of those memories or experiences, like, through kind of like snapshot imagery and then building these kind of collages and then mixing in text to kind of speak to the feeling state or whatever that went along with the memory.
2: Were the snapshots mental or like photographs?
1: It would be, well, it was all like painted or drawn.
2: But your reference material, was it all from memory?
1: No, no, I would, what I would do is I would, for example, like I would paint like a location, like something would have happened in a certain place. So I think one of the first ones that I was really happy with like was in Seattle. And I was talking about my time in Seattle, and there was a building that I lived in, and I had found a picture on the internet of the back of the building, and I painted the back of the building. And there was, you know, I would spend all these days like swimming at this beach up there that was across the street from Kirk Cobain's house. And I painted like the bench next to Kirk Cobain's house. And I would build them like that. And then there would be elements that were less obvious specific and more kind of speaking to like uh you know an experience and using kind of an object to represent that experience or like feeling state or whatnot and yeah so i built those and then you know those slowly evolved into canvas works that had to do with those and the way my work works is that like i kind of like go down i'll start going down like one kind of like road of Series or body work or whatever, and then I'll find something that I deem successful, and then I might pivot and then go down that, you know. And it's just kind of like ricocheting constantly, and you know, and and certain things like kind of get put on hold for a while and come back. Those, yeah, those ones kind of like got the ball rolling, and then uh it just kind of went there.
2: What was it like working with color after tattooing for so long? What was your approach there?
1: It's funny because I I just always liked black, gray tattoos and I didn't, like, I don't have any color tattoos. It was never kind of, I didn't even think about it. Right. The the short answer is I never even thought about it. I always made work outside of tattoos using color. To me, I just only liked tattoos that were black and gray and they were separate completely by that it was that it was like really just that simple right and because i was doing them simultaneously there was no like oh you've been working in black and gray for five years and now we're making paintings in colors the only kind of major shift really that happened with the work ever was switching kind of from watercolor to oil which was kind of i my father had always painted well in both but you know primarily in oil and, and i always looked at oils like this very sacred uh, the most historical medium you know and kind of uh
2: it's intimidating
1: yeah I just had this idea of what an oil painting needed to be you know and and then I remember my dad came to visit me one time and I kind of was like "Can you show me how to paint with oil and really like all that ended up being was we went to the art store he showed me what to buy he showed me how to set up a painting station or whatever you want to call it and then I just did it, and I did my first painting with oil, and I realized that it was actually very easy. And the reality is, and someone may disagree, but in my opinion, watercolor is the hardest of all paintings. Yeah. So since I had spent many years working watercolor and trying to be very tight and precise with watercolor, it really set the stage for oil actually being very easy because watercolor you can't really go backwards mm-hmm. because like one direction with watercolor yeah. whereas oil you can go all over the place you can yeah. erase you can start over you know and so it just kind of made painting with oil a lot easier and once that door was opened i like really saw I, don't know, I just found you know a medium that i really wanted to continue to explore and kind of focus on you know but that was kind of the most major kind of in regards to like technical process that ever like was a notable moment I guess
2: yeah so in in your current work and your influences I just I love mythology and fantasy and daydreams it's one of the reasons I really love Europe but I feel like With the realities of what's happening in America more recently, dipping into a romanticized mythology around the rugged kind of anti hero and living in nature and all of those things that come up in your work ends up being such a relief visually and sort of lends some of that romance and sort of mythological fantasy back into the concept of America. How would you describe? the relationship between the mythological elements in your work and the real autobiographical nature of it.
1: I mean, that's kind of one of the most major themes in ongoing kind of focuses of the work is that nostalgic slash mythological kind of idea of America, you know? Right. And really more just like American culture because I think that extends far beyond the borders of Country, you know, obviously I work with cowboys a lot, which is apparently like the cartoon character of a, of an American, you know. Um, but cowboys are everywhere. You're gonna find a cowboy in Argentina. You're gonna find a cowboy in Scotland. You're gonna find, a, you know what I mean? It, it's not specific to our country. I think like the landscape, which is something that I deal with a lot, is definitely more specific. Maybe you know, like. I've used Monument Valley in a lot of works and that's very much a place in America that is nowhere else in the world and you know and in a very recognizable image. But you know, a lot of the work that I'm working on right now and a show that I did a few years back was really kind of in conversation or response to a lot of the photographers of the the new topographics, you know, kind of movement that you know was really Happening. I think it's still happening, but it was really getting its feet in like the late 60s and 70s. And, you know, the the, image was, the images from that, you know, from Stephen Shore, Robert Adams, I would say Eggleston, although I'm not sure how much he's considered part of them, but it really painted this like kind of picture of like what our country looked like. And from my days like touring and like going all around the country, you know, I had these kind of like fantasy, nostalgic kind of images in my head of what this country looked like. The reality is that it doesn't really look like that anymore. You can find that stuff. And I did a project, a book a couple of years ago. I dealt with that. I took a trip to Memphis and I really wanted to take photos that, you know, spoke to that type of imagery and kind of the uh, life it does exist. It's just littered with a lot of you know Applebee's and chain <laughs> restaurants and, yeah. and you know WalMarts et cetera. Which
2: it's not all dive bars and jukeboxes and
1: yeah. That was that was part of the the kind of point of the new topographics is you know landscape photography. Prior to them was you know Ansel Adams and these other type of photographers that made these works that were basically 100% nature-based and showing these beautiful kind of stoic, amazing kind of landscapes, you know, like half dome, and, you know, and these places that were breathtaking. And then the new topographics came along and and you were seeing these kind of photos where there'd be like a trailer park and then like a beautiful mountain range behind it or just the effect of man on, on the landscape. And that's all I've ever, I mean, I grew up having access to beautiful places like that and, and going on camping trips and et cetera and seeing those things. But I also grew up, you know, not far from a major city, also very much seeing the effects of, of people on the landscape. And so, you know, a lot of it has kind of just been my reaction to that and kind of what that has done to me in my thinking of the landscape and kind of like the the kind of larger image of America, and you know, and then everything that comes with that, you know, I mean, I, I don't only paint landscapes. I don't only paint or make work about, you know, those things, but you know, that, that definitely has been a big part of it. The cowboy in its own way is like a part of that. And it's kind of like, how can I keep exploring this, speaking to it in my way that, you know, i feel so comfortable with.
2: The cowboy is such a symbol of like, stoic strength and toughness and survival but you know obviously he's also a very solitary character not super open or vulnerable or attached to community very much alone some I feel like in recent years some of the more classical ideals around masculinity have been under investigation as we figure out how to have more open conversations about self-love and mental health what do you love about what you looked up to as a kid in the concept of the cowboy and what would you adjust in the kinds of figures, let's say your son would look up to and maybe like give him different tools within that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the thing about that work is I've been making it for a while now. And as you brought up, like these conversations about masculinity and kind of the ideas behind that and and how that plays into society at this point have evolved or the conversations have evolved even during the time that I've been making that work. A lot of stuff that I make, you know, I start making it almost on like kind of a subconscious, it starts at a subconscious point. As I'm making the work, a conversation starts. And, and I, you know, and I, and people see the work and people come by the studio and whatnot. And then I have these conversations and dialogues are created and, and those ideas evolve as the work evolves. And, and, you know, and there was a point maybe like a year or two ago where I was like kind of thinking about that a bunch because as a kid I would wear these like cowboy costumes that were kind of like a, a, a suit of armor, you know, and it was like a protecting kind of layer. And that related to, as I got older, I started getting tattooed, which was kind of like a way to look tough and kind of be this person that people wouldn't mess with or whatever. And, you know, and, and I think that that stems from this kind of want and desire to protect yourself, you know, as a kid, like, having dealt with bullies and things like that, you know, I, I would do these things so that I, like, I wouldn't have to deal with that. And, yeah. and, you know, and and I think that there's something to be said for that. I think that there's also very much, like you said, the stoic character and the lonely character. And, you know, and I think that a lot of, I mean, as an artist, I spend a lot of time alone in my studio. I'm not like, riding a horse growling <laughs> you know, cheap but i think that it, spiritually
2: you, know, like, you might be
1: yes you know <laughs> in my head i'm daydreaming of it but to me it's it's a it's a symbol and it's it's kind of you know visually on a very basic level it's a very visually pleasing image to me fits very nicely into the landscape that i daydream about it's a character that you know i i've been attracted to emulating the lifestyle and rituals of and whatnot since I was a child due to like movies and, and whatnot. And as I make the work, it just kind of evolves from there. It just start, the ball starts rolling and then you just <laughs> just kind of let it go.
2: How often are you in the studio? You seem so like following you on Instagram. It seems like all you're doing is making work.
1: Pretty much it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here like every day. I mean, yeah. I, I tend to take weekends off, but I was here last weekend. I keep like a pretty strict schedule if I get here. I mean, I get here around noon and I stay till about eight. So I'm not, I get up at like six, but I just, I really like like a slow morning with exercise and coffee and whatnot.
2: What music do you listen to in the studio?
1: Well, so I have like this kind of daily art of music that I do almost every day. And it shifts here and there depending on like where I'm at. But I always start the day with like some jazz or like Django Reinhardt or something like that, like very kind of mellow stuff. And then when I get to the studio, that'll that'll continue depending on the day. Maybe I like lunch, which I take around like two, is when really the work starts. I do like a lot of administrative computer whatever phone calls etc until i have lunch and then i have lunch i don't like to be interrupted so i just wait till after i have lunch to start painting and then i like make a coffee and then i put on that's like the more aggressive music comes on and so it'll go to like it depends it'll be either like goth dark wave, or like i went i was just like journey on repeat like a couple weeks ago, like something like very sing-along stuff because if I can just like sing along to music and like it's like blasting really loud I can just like really focus sometimes it'll go into like metal or like more aggressive versions of metal power trip slayer and other stuff like that and then and then I come home and then that will go down to like crooners and jazz and and search gainsburg or something like that although last night i like i was sitting i had like a stressful day and i was like well we all had a stressful day yesterday yeah i was like very affected by that Really, like i normally like yeah but it, it like i don't know it, it like i felt
2: i was too i felt it for a lot of reasons yeah and, yeah
1: and i went home and i like had dinner and i was like i need to like chill and then i just like i downloaded this dj app and i started like DJing like a dance hall set at my table i like i'm like obsessed with the dance hall i have been for a long time i worked in a dance hall club in new york and it's like something that like probably people wouldn't expect me to be into but so fun i like by like
2: no i don't think anything would surprise me at this point
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i don't know i like ones that i think people wouldn't expect or, like i'm really into goth music and i'm really into dance hall I think like the Grateful Dead and like the classic rock singer-songwriter folk music stuff is like very obvious due to all the references in my art, but very into like, like I have a Depeche Mode tattoo on my hand, I'm, like extremely into that stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I like hadn't been listening to reggae for a little bit and I just like sat at my table and just like DJed a, so a, a dance hall set by myself. <laughs> for <no reason. laughs> like, it was, like It worked. It made me feel better. And. just yeah but every day it's kind of like this mellow to really aggressive to back to mellow at the very end of the day that's that's like every day i don't know We the the spotify kind of like they gave you like the report yeah and i sent it to one of my friends who works in music and and he saw the amount of minutes or whatever that i listened to music and he, he was like blown away he like couldn't believe it like i was like 10 times like what he had listen to for the year like i think i did the the math on it and it was like it was almost like 80 days straight of music
2: damn which actually doesn't even
1: sound like that much to me for a 365 day year but
2: well you're sleeping half of yes not half
1: but like a third true but yeah i i have stuff going at all times i'm really into that like the old joke of like if you could have a theme song that came on when you entered a room or like if you could just have music like a a boombox following you everywhere like I that's kind of how I have to be like I, I need it i need needed to focus I needed to like you know it just like it can't go up like there's always this battle between my girlfriend and I where we'll eat dinner at the dinner table and then she wants to like move to the living room and go onto the couch maybe like watch tv or whatever in that room and I really love to sit at the dinner table and like listen to music and smoke and just like relax and just chill yeah and yeah, I just that to me, like I get so much more out of like listening to music than even like watching TV or anything.
2: Totally. How would you describe the role of words in your work? I wrote down a couple of your titles and the writings that appear in your work. We're handing out the flowers I'd given to you and the rivers keep it talking, but you never heard a word it said, and mending a fairy tale. How did that come in and and where do you draw references for that? And how do you how do you make those choices?
1: I mean, they're all lyrics, all of them. So as much as I'd like to...
2: Dancehall lyrics?
1: Not a lot of dancehall <laughs> lyrics. A lot of... They pretty much strictly stick to... Every once in a while, I, I, I will pull something from a random location. But for the most part, they are heavily Grateful Dead, Neil Young, Moody Blues, George Harrison. I mean, there's a trend there. I will say that they're generally from music from the 50s to, I'll say from like 1950 to 1979. they generally come from that sphere. For me, it, it's I started doing it because I was listening to music while making the work and uh, in those earlier words, I I wanted to attach, or I, I don't know, just like a naturally, I would be listening to music, it would in, encapsulate the feeling that I was feeling. In whatever I was talking about in the work, or whatever I was going through in my life at that moment, and so it was just a way to kind of further express that. And then, uh, and that's kind of just like where it started. And it's just like it's how I like to do it at this point, as far as like for especially for the titles of paintings. You know, that's that's where I like. It was one of those, like I didn't, I wasn't necessarily very confident in my writing abilities, or just never thought about doing it. So choosing words that was a way that I felt like I could essentially appropriate someone else's words and attach it to what I was trying to, you know, remove it from the context of the song or whatever and have it speak to what I was making. You know, I think that almost like in a collage kind of way. Yeah, uh, Like a, a year or two, two years ago, I, I made a book about the that trip to Memphis, which was all photos. And then there was a essay, maybe you, an essay at the beginning, which essentially was like a journal entry, and I actually just did that again in my last book, and that kind of came from, I was, uh, Richard Prince did this book that was uh, it's a collection of writing, or something, about it. I forget the exact title, but there were all these stories that he had written, and they were basically just made up, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, like, it kind of opened the door, I was like, you can kind of just, not that, like, the, the writing that I started doing after that like was just made up i definitely changed names and and certain little details but for the most part they were just actually just true stories from my life but what it did was it just showed me that i could write something and it didn't matter if it was considered great literature or something i'm not trying to be right yeah i'm a i'm an artist right. i hate saying that but i you know i, I I make things. you hate
2: saying you're an artist, yeah, I don't that term is
1: so beaten to death at this point like it doesn't mean anything anymore, you know right, but I do what I do and and I'm not trying to just be like a a great American novelist or something, you know what I mean mm-hmm. i it's just another thing I can attach to the work or make it part of the work and it it just really what it did was it just like showed me like, oh, if you want to do that, you can do that, and like it doesn't matter, you know what I mean,
2: yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and like I was reading I was going through. The book I just released the and there was a typo. It wasn't a major one. It should it was just like it should have been I think it said as and it should have just been a and I could have been all pissed about it. And then I was like, whatever, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> it just doesn't. Like, yeah. Be like, why am I one I can't change it right now? I can fix it for yeah. a later edition, but like it doesn't matter. It's like if I, you know, made a painting and I misspelled sign, well fuck it, it's part of the painting. And so, you know, that, that gave me a little freedom around words. And so in this new body of work I'm making, there is words. Some of them are quotes. I started it why intentionally not trying to make intentionally not using lyrics and I was creating all of them myself. And then I just got I don't want to say lazy, but I just started bringing the lyrics back into the work and it worked the way it did. But yeah, it was just kind of like I, I wasn't confident enough yet in using my own words and I I really like the idea of like recontextualizing these words that meant so much to me in these songs and like, how can I take this to now make it a part of mine? Because the song is a part of why and how I'm making the work. So how can I use that in the work and and repurpose it?
2: Totally. What are you excited about exploring in the future?
1: I mean, I'll say that while I'm working on three body work, generally the way I make work is I make, painting and put it on the internet like i don't you know because i'm not preparing for any like specific shows most of the time it's just kind of like that's the way people are used to seeing my work it's, i don't make one work at a time but i finish one work at a time and so i've actually for the last few months been working on a body of work that i haven't been putting on the internet and i'm really like taking my time to develop them and i you know i'm feeling i don't know you, you always hear the Cliche of artists like hating their work and never being happy with anything. And and I to be honest, I'm like very happy with this work right now. I'm very happy with all the work I'm making, to be honest. And I don't know if that's like getting too comfortable, but
2: no, I think I think that's I think that's a myth that needs to be busted. I think this idea that you're like at war with your work and at war with your muse and all of that is like a pretty toxic concept. I don't think that you have to be mad and upset with yourself at all times yeah. to be doing to be making great work
1: yeah I mean this tortured artist thing sure I've had my moments you know like anyone you know. <laughs> yeah totally and there was times where I where I felt like baby living in that was like crucial to the work right but like
2: when your dad was telling you to take drawing lessons
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so I'm working on that I'm really excited about that I, I don't know when it's going to be done and you know I'm not really too concerned about it, too. It'll be done when it when it's supposed to be done. And, you know, I think we're at, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those right now, uh, and they're pretty big. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with those. I don't know. I kind of just, like, take it as it comes. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I have all these, like, kind of extracurricular type of projects so i'm excited about those see what happens with those you know but it's kind of like i don't know i, I guess i'm living very in the moment and i get stressed about things just like anyone does but i will say that like work-wise specifically the paintings and other kind of stuff within that realm that i'm doing i'm I'm feeling very good about i've hit like a nice stride which is like why i'm in the studio every single day because I'm like really excited to get here and I like, keep pushing that. You know, and I have stuff with like, yeah, the public company the rest of it that like I'm excited about it. It will come out when it comes out. But like I said, the, the painting and the rest of it is always like 100% the focus, no, not 100%, but like the main focus. And so when that's going well, then it, then it feels like it's all going well. And as long as I can like keep kind of pushing on that, I will be a happy camper awesome sweet
2: well thank you so much for taking the time to do this i'm hoping that i'll have a home and wall space at some point so i can snag something of yours I would love that. but have a great day
1: you too thank you so much for inviting me to do this Pleasure.
2: And that, beautiful people, concludes this episode of The Inspirati. I hope you picked up some inspiration to take into your day. Please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment if you're enjoying these conversations. You can follow The Inspirati on Instagram or find me at alex.merrill. Stay inspired and keep creating. The world needs it more than ever.